Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi there, Joshua. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> you sound peppy and happy. I know. I'm peppy. I'm happy. Um, all things considered, right? Uh, right. Well, yeah, it's all relative. <laughs> it's all relative. All <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, I am, uh, my belly is full of smoked meat. So I'm very, you know, I'm very happy right now. Oh, is, is that from yeah. like, <laughs> it's, it's from, I know it. <laughs> um, I, uh, so for, uh, Father's Day slash, uh, my dad's birthday, we got him a smoker. Oh, okay. And he's never, we've never, he's always been wanting to do smoking, um, smoking of meats, but, um, we decided that, you know. When was Father's Day? Father's Day was was in June. It was in June, um, the 23rd? 21st? 22nd. Sunday? It was a Sunday, yeah, the 21st. 21st, yeah, yeah, okay. So anyways, go ahead, Sorry. (laughs) So we, we got him this gift and, you know, it's like the gift that keeps on giving because, you know, he'll, he makes the food and then we eat it. And so we did our second go around, um, of using the smoker and he smoked turkey legs and a picnic cut of pork. And, you know, it was all very delicious. I'm very happy. Um, very, very happy. Awesome. Sounds like it sounds delicious. Yeah. How are you doing? Do yeah, same. Doing well. Uh, you know, we don't really celebrate the uh, Independence Day, but we um, usually always do because it's a day off or it's a holiday. You know, so usually we do host you know people over, uh, mostly to talk shit about the government and <laughs> and eat. Yeah, I so yeah, I <laughs> didn't did. feel. I was gonna say I didn't feel um I didn't feel patriotic uh, that day anyway. So. Yeah, but we did, uh, we grilled out, we grilled a whole bunch of stuff. Jeffrey made a steak and a bunch of chicken and shrimp, and we had garlic mashed potatoes and uh, lots of food. It was delicious. Uh, I'm actually kind of hungry right now. Uh, <laughs> so we have leftovers for me to eat after this. Uh, so yeah, it was, you know, a nice day, like being off. You know, it's great. We had Friday off from from uh, from work, the Friday of the holiday, which is nice. So it's been a good three-day weekend. We love it. Eating. I know. Watching uh, shows. Yes, watching shows, doing things, watching shows. Yeah. Um, I had a busy week last week um, of fun employment. <laughs> right, that's right. The continuing um, adventures of Joe's fun employment. Yes. Um, but, but actually last week was uh, really interesting because I, um, I'm doing the show through the La Jolla Playhouse. Like I'm in a show that right. they're doing through their, uh, virtual without walls, which is their site specific theater. But because, um, no one's going anywhere, everything's canceled. They've t- taken everything and done it online. So I'm in the show. It's called binge. Go uh, to the La Jolla Playhouse and see if you're interested in uh, purchasing a ticket. It is on. Uh, it closes on July the 12th, um, 
And so I will go ahead and put that in the um, show notes as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll we'll link to it so people can uh, possibly see you. I know it's sort of a bit random, yeah. but I don't. It is a bit random. Yeah, we we don't want to. You definitely want to go in with an open mind because it's very, um, it's very, it's one to one performance. So it'll be just you and the artist. So it could be me, it could be other people. Half the cast is based in Europe, the other half is based in the United States. I'm the only. I'm one of two cast members on the West Coast. Wow. Um, very cool. So we're all we're we're all over. Awesome. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, so like last week, even though it was like technically a fun employment, the second full fun employment week, it was also like really busy, um, just doing the show and, um, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, nice. I've been just, you know, I'm at working. Sorry to bring that up. It, but. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. I, I, it I've been, been telling- fun though. I will say it's not fun working. I really uh, am uh, very aggravated by my job lately, but that's a whole other thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I am um, working. So, you know, I had some coworkers who like that first full week, they like, we usually have like this really robust like group chat that we're on, but that first full week there was a lot of silence and I had to go, I went on there and I was like, Hey guys, I'm doing okay. Like I'm totally cool. If you talk about work, because one, like, if you talk about how bad work is, I'm going to feel good about not being there. So, <laughs> so please talk about that as much as possible. If you talk about how good work is, like, that's even great. I'm glad. It makes me happy for you. Right. Just like, you know, don't, it, it is okay, basically, to talk about work. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what I, um, you know what I've been watching, though? Um, since we're segueing into our usual segment, right? Right. Um, I've been watching a couple things. Um, I started watching Space Force on um, Netflix, which, like, I wasn't a fan of The Office, but I love Steve Carell and I love um, John Malkovich in comedy roles. And I think that's one of the, I think I really like the, the combination of the two of them. Um, is it eye rolly? Yes. <laughs> is it, um, is it a little too real given ev- cause they make a lot of digs and a lot of jokes about the current administration. Um, and it's just difficult to laugh when you know that things are happening, like, you know, terrible things are happening, um, and have been happening. Um, but it is overall, I mean, it's a fun show. Plus, I mean, like Tani Newsom is on it, who, uh, co-hosts, uh, yo, is this racist? With Andrew T, Jimmy O Wang, uh, uh, Jimmy O Wang is on it. Like, there's a lot of of fun, funny people that are on it. Um, but what I really want to talk to you about, Joshua, is Drag Race. Are you watching? Uh, yeah. Well, you mean All Stars? Because yeah, I, I, yeah, I wa- I'm watching All Stars, and I did watch the uh, Canadian, the Dr- RuPaul's Drag Race, the first episode of. Canada. Oh, that's right. Uh huh. Yeah. How was the Canada should- one? Apparently, there's just not enough fucking drag race. We need it going at all times. You know, RuPaul is going to become like Roseanne and the Golden Girls. Like, no matter <laughs> what time of day, day of the week, you turn on the TV, you're going to find drag race. Um, the Canadian one was all right. Yeah, the first episode was very, uh, started off right away proving that um, the image that 
Canadians are like sweet and nice is wrong because oh my gosh, there were some queens on there. There was one who super sore loser. Like he was oh, no. nasty. So you have to watch her because she was like, Can you believe it? Can you believe they picked her over me? Look at her. It was very much like that queen, like, I have a right to like, you know, show my colors. Well, I guess that's actually from Pose, but the Queen, the original um, not Pepper, Crystal Labasia. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I it was just very much that kind of moment. Like, you know, she looks ugly and I'm beautiful. And it was so cruel and mean. And I was just like, oh, wow, we are turning it all the way up. So it was very dramatic. But you haven't watched it yet, so watch that. Uh, it's on the Wow Presents Plus. Uh, okay. Uh, it, you know, if you want to check it out, it's like three ninety nine a month or something. Um, Is that where I can also watch uh, the British version? Yes, which okay. was a lot of fun, actually. I actually really, really enjoyed uh, RuPaul's Drag Race UK just because it was like – I don't know. I really enjoy British humor, you know, I'm a big fan Mm -hmm, of a mm -hmm. lot of uh, British television. And so there's like, there are references that I get on it that are great. There are, there's also a real punk rock aesthetic to some of Uh the, you know, something that's, I I feel more, um, not Which true is totally your bam. Your bam. Yeah, well, it's like I don't like to like get into the whole thing of like what is and is not drag. I just don't think it's helpful. And I think that like anything, like horror, you know, we're free to decide and free to engage with it and however we want. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a huge fan of this hypernormalization of like blonde, beautiful, all having the same face, you know, kind of where drag mm-hmm. is going here in the mainstream. Uh, but I also, you know, I've talked critically about that, but then I look at the winners of Drag Race, and they're not always that. You know, I look at Sasha uh, Velour, uh, you know, you look at Jinx Monsoon, you look at Sharon Needles, like, obviously the show, even though there is a lot of that in there, and a lot of conversation about, like, drag being, like, this illusion of womanhood, or mm-hmm, illusion mm-hmm. of, like, you know, femininity, the winners haven't always fallen into that category. You know, they've been very weird. So I think there is, um, you know, there, there's value, you know, in that. So anyways, my point is, is that, that RuPaul's Drag Race UK felt very punk rock in the sense that like there are queens on there with hairy chests and, and hairy armpits and they don't feel the need to like be this singular definition, you know, and they're coming from a different aesthetic. And so I, I really enjoy it. So if you haven't watched it, definitely check that out. But on to All Stars. What did you want to say? Um, the drama, like the <sighs> conflama. Yes, oh my gosh. So much. I'm like, I know. Um, spoiler alert for this m- most recent episode, but like the idea that like, who's telling the truth, like <laughs> which one is the liar? Um, who do you and think? Who do you think? I, was I don't know. I don't know. I think it's India. I think India is not telling. I think India is the liar. No. Here, okay. So here's what I think. Yes. I mean, okay. obviously you're, you're entitled to that. I actually think that both of them think they're telling the truth. Like I'm curious to get um, Mayhem Miller's, her side of the story, but I think there is something for coming in and kind of having a conversation about something where, where you can both leave it thinking, you know, mm-hmm. like I could see where India felt that like, yeah, I was asked to vote for Shay, you know, like, but maybe that's what she took away from the conversation, not necessarily what they were saying, because I also saw where Alexis was saying, yeah, but we didn't have all the votes. 
Like mm-hmm. if we would have asked her, what about everybody else? Why didn't, why isn't everybody else going? Oh yeah. They asked me too. Like she, they were outnumbered. So I kind of get, I feel like it's one of those things where the perception is reality. I mean, we'll see if mayhem comes out and says, no girl, we absolutely went to her and said, vote, you know what I mean? And we'll find that out at the reunion, the reunion, the reunion you know? or whatever twist brings them all back a jury right. or whatever. Exactly. You know, well, exactly. That's true. So we'll, we'll probably find yeah. out with T, but I just kind of felt like they both seem so convinced that the other was wrong, that it just made Mm -hmm. me think like, I think a conversation happened where India felt like she was asked to vote out Shay, but maybe that it wasn't explicit like that. It wasn't as conspiratorial so much as like, Hey girl, like we have an opportunity to kick out a competitor. Maybe we should consider it, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. I agree with, I agree with you. I think, I think that's what most likely happened, right? It's like they, they both, their perception of, is probably like, cause it, you know, what's that thing? It's, um, I forget there, there's an HBO show, uh, with, uh, Jason Bateman right now. Um, the outsider, I think it's what it's called or something oh, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like the, the whole premise is like, how, how can two things be true at the same time? So yeah, it's it was, like uh, with, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So like with this, right. It's like two things can be true at the same time because it just depends yeah. on how they process the information or whatever. Yeah. And it but, depends um, on how they're reading it and how she, cause it's mm-hmm. like, you know, Alexis definitely starts a lot of drama, which kind of, which did, you know, cause it's like jumping in like, Oh, you know, with the whole cracker thing of like, you know, crackers talking about it, it feels great to like be in this group with talented people. And she named a few people cause they were in her group or she was working with them. And then Alexis jumps in like, Oh, you don't respect me. It's like, no, just because I didn't say your name doesn't automatically mean. It also doesn't mm-hmm. mean she does. You know what I mean? It's like kind of mm-hmm. both can be both, but I just don't like people who are looking to be offended in that sense or looking to be like, Oh, I was left out of that. So obviously she doesn't respect me. It's like, no, that's not what I said. And I did feel like it kind of piled on a little bit. Yeah. So I just feel like there is a lot of drama. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually citing more with Alexis because like for any, like, I, I'm sorry, but like Alexis is not, they really did paint India as this villain from the beginning, just yeah. because of like her, all of her stuff with Derek and with, uh, and with Alexis, like she has been nothing but like open and forthright with other people, even like, you know, so shading people even to their faces. In the wrong. Right. Yeah. Even exactly. She, that's true. You know, yeah, she has been open. So yeah, again, I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. You know, and in the end, like it's gonna like anything else, like there, it's so rare for like the drama to last very long. You know, yeah. afterwards, like they get to the reunion, and it's like, oh no, but that's my sister, and you know, the, the show is there's lots of pressure, and you just don't know what it's like to be in that like pressure cooker, and you know, working you know so much, and we get so little sleep, and blah 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 blah, that like tensions run high. There's always that excuse after, and then it's like yeah. they're all sisters, so it's just old hat. Mm-hmm. We'll see yeah. though. We'll see and how and especially with like that twist at the end where it's like if you're not the winner you're in the bottom. Yeah, that and was yeah, 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 yeah. Jaw drop. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, to Shay's like to like it speaks a little bit more to Shay's own integrity of like yeah, the queen who has been in the bottom who who legitimately did not do well that week is the one who went home. That's like. True. To send Alexis home for what was, like, a really great performance uh, would have been, like, would have reflected more poorly on Shay, if anything. But again, that's the game, right? Like, I 
I'm the person where it's like, if I was in that position, I would just not, I wouldn't straight up be like, um, oh, like, no, like, I'm going to be like, I will get rid of the one who I think is the most, is the biggest threat. And then if they want to fight to get back, they can fight to get back. But yeah. No, I, you know, I definitely said, I mean, obviously I don't know, but I definitely prefer to play games with um, worthy competitors, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel more of like, I would want to be on that, like, uh, India had been in the bottom several times. I don't think that she's worthy of the competition. I would rather fight. I'd rather know that I won the crown or won the game against people who knew how to play and people yeah. who showed up and brought it, you know, because there's just better yeah. bragging rights to be like, yeah, I won the lip sync against, um, uh, Alyssa like that, mm -hmm. you know, that's some good bragging rights, you know? And so mm -hmm. it's like, I just feel like there is something to be said for not voting out your competition because they're doing well. You know, but doing it because yeah. they're, you know, I don't know. But again, I've not been in that position and I'm not really competitive. I was just having a whole conversation about this with my, with my friend, uh, Cecile, who I, we're going to get on this show eventually. Uh, but, you know, just about game playing. Cause it's like, I prefer to play cards and talk and have drinks and hang out. I don't want to play some game where there's going to be a winner because we have a lot of sore winners and losers in our group, in my opinion, from past experience playing games. <laughs> and that's not fun to me, you know, yeah. talking's not fun to me because I don't really know how much of it is serious or how much it's not. Yeah. You know, it just, I get very, very uncomfortable in situations like that because I'm very much want everybody to be chill and have, be having a good time. And if I think one person's not having a good time because somebody else is being a jerk, it just gives me a ton of anxiety. And that yeah. comes out in a lot of gameplay. Yeah. And that's one of like, I, cause we've played cards. We've played cards a few times already. Yeah. And I, and I feel like I, I enjoy that a lot with when we play just because it's like, yeah, we do like, there's some like gentle ribbing every now and then, but it's never anything that's like too serious. Yeah. And I also, and, and that's something like specifically with cards, I learned, um, I learned with my family because like my aunts and uncles, they would get together at like big family gatherings and they play cards, but it was never, it was always about more like having fun than it was to actually win. And you can definitely tell who was there to like win, win um, and all that stuff. But like, you know, again, it's, it's never cards or cards for me. It's like, it's the ultimate like chill social game where yeah. it's just like, we're just and here to just drink and have fun. Yeah. 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 I'm that kind of person. You know, I don't really like, you know, despite like, doing this show or sometimes we debate, you know, good or bad in horror. It's like, I really am not that kind of person at the end of the day. I don't want to like fight or argue or like yuck people's yums. It's like, I just want to hang out and have a good time. And that's yeah. very much my type of person. And it, you know, it's yeah. like the job I do and the work that I do, like I get enough drama, I get enough, you know, of like real life, you yeah. know, horror for people. I just want to hang and be chill and have a calm space. <laughs> So what you're saying is that for you, this is, this is RuPaul's best friend race. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather okay. watch the show where everybody's like, you know, I mean, yeah, I enjoy watching yeah. people's artistry on the show. Yeah. I don't like the drama. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I'm know, competitive enough for the both of us. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, 
and that's fine. Um, you know, you do that. And, you know, and the, to some extent I get that there are, there are places for it and, you know, being competitive sometimes, you know, makes you want to, you know, grow or be better. Like, Hey, I, I understand that. It's just some, when the nastiness creeps in, it just, it's yeah. very uncomfortable because of just like, again, it is, it's trauma, you know, it's stuff that from my past where I don't feel comfortable and like, you know, humor that I don't understand. Cause it's like, well, am I the butt of the joke? I don't feel comfortable with like men, you know, around men, gay or straight, whatever color they are, you know, all of that. If they're being violent, you know, even if it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, like my friend, I have a particular friend who's been over here, played games that I've kicked out of the house. Cause it's like, he just got too aggressive and it really freaked me out and made me very uncomfortable. And it's like, we're just playing risk, dude, you know, like everybody needs yeah. to calm the fuck down, you know, but it was yeah. like banging on the table and yelling. And it just put me in this position that made me very, very uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, and again, that is linked to, you know, past trauma around male violence. Um, oh so, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, I just, I like to have predictable experiences <laughs> and that kind of thing yeah. is, un- is unpredictable. So, but other than that, aside from that, aside from psychoanalyzing myself, the other, I have been uh, revisiting like early 2000s Showtime shows. Um, Ooh, okay. Um, so I was, I've been rewatching Dexter uh, for reasons that would be apparent later. We're not going to talk about that right now. And, okay. uh, but also I've been rewatching Weeds and which has kind of been a very interesting experience because you know, suffice to say, 15 years ago when Weeds first debuted, I did not have the analysis I have of, like, race and class and, like, the drug war that I, mm-hmm. that I have now. So rewatching Weeds has been an interesting experience because I'm like, this show is so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, you know, just some of the, you know, there, there's some great conversation in it around race and, and around, like, you know, of course, this, like, white, wealthy quote unquote wealthy perceived because obviously she's selling drugs because she's lost a lot of money and you know is trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to survive in that first season. You know, so there there are she's sort of walking in this very dangerous world where it's like, oh but I'm pretty and white so I can kind of get myself in danger, which, you know, is mm-hmm. not very realistic. Uh but it's it, it's been an interesting rewatch, especially in the context of now, you know, what's been going on within within the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but uh, I don't know. It's just been like, I've been laughing at some of it that it's like, okay, I kind of see why when the show first debuted, some of the conversation around it was like analyzing it from that perspective of like Mm -hmm. getting like why the war on drugs is racist and, you know, those connections to like bad cops and like the DEA and the experience of black people versus white people that I did not have, you know, with so much of, a grip of at the time Mm that now I'm watching it like, Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed for some of the conversation (laughs) around it back in the day, you know? Uh, but that's been my week of, you know, hanging out and rue watching things. (laughs) (laughs) It's been, uh, I don't know. It's been kind of enlightening in a way, but also fun because it's like, oh, I have good memories. I do have good memories mm-hmm. of getting together and hanging out and watching Weeds collectively with friends and, you know, and watching Dexter with friends and things like that. So, I'm man, sure I, glad, you know. I wish I was around for Dexter because I watched that on my own. Yeah. Um, and I really wish that I had, like, been around uh, 
in your in your in your house with your people um, who are also my people now um, to watch Dexter because yeah, it would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, and it was. We 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 had some really good times back then. So it's been fun revisiting it for that. Uh, you know, it brings up memories of things I'd forgotten. Like I'm laying in bed watching an episode. And I'm like, oh my god, I remember the conversation we had on my friend Elisa's couch. You know, right? Like after this episode, or you know, people came up to our house, and I remember the, the food we made that night. You know, it's just like it's interesting to kind of experience uh, mm. that way. But uh, yeah, so that's been pretty much the week. Um, I think uh, we should uh, take a real quick break and then we'll uh, be back to discuss It, Chapter 2. I just want to apologize. I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive and very stupid. And I shouldn't have put other people in danger. I am so sorry for everything that has happened because in spite of what Joshua says, it's now all my fault. I insisted our listeners subscribe to Fright School on Apple Podcasts. I insisted they leave us reviews. I insisted that they give us a five-star rating. And it's all because of me that we're here now and we're being hunted I love you mom and dad I am so sorry I only wanted to make good content for our listeners I'm so scared I'm going to die out here Joshua, is that you? (laughs) All right, welcome back. We are discussing on today's episode, it chapter two. Now, this is a this is a sequel. Uh, episode to our apparently episode 22, which seems really wow, young, really? but episode 22, summer camp field trip. It, uh, the original it, so or the first in this particular adaptation series, mm-hmm. uh, September 13th, 2017 is when it came out. So if you go back, oh my god, a lifetime ago, our, yeah, if you want to listen to our, our, our original thoughts on the on, on it. Uh, when my brother was visiting, and then we didn't, they slept, right? That was the thing. We were going to have them on the show, and then they were, like, sleeping or something? I don't remember. Yeah, we were, yeah, something happened where they were indisposed, and we were like, okay, well, we have a schedule, so. Yeah, so, <laughs> hopefully, if they visit again, he'll join us. <coughs> Sorry, got a peanut caught in my throat. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, they're trying to visit again. I don't know if they will with the COVID thing going on, but. You know, we'll see. But anyway, so, yeah, so this is our kind of follow-up. Took us, uh, well, I mean, it only came out last year, right? When was it released? Uh, I think last summer, September, right? No, September. September oh, okay. And I can't remember what all was going on, but there I, there was a reason I never saw it. Like, we kept trying to see it in the theater, and then we never did. Did you go and see it? 
No, I, 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 when I texted you that I was watching it, um, I, that was the, that was the only time I saw it. Okay. Um, and I, and then the, they had like, it was on iTunes to purchase at a screaming deal like months ago. Yeah. And so I bought it, uh, with the, with, on it. with, um, it won, oh, okay. just kind of sat on it because I had a feeling I was like, okay, maybe this would be something that I could like force my mom to watch. Uh, glad I didn't though. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just sat on it. It, it. It's an interesting watch. I actually watched both today. So I watched the original and then this, I had like a giant five hour <laughs> block. Oh yeah. Uh, watching both. My intention was then to also follow it up with Dolores Claiborne and just have like a Stephen King day. But Dolores Claiborne went off of HBO Max already. So I was kind of bummed. Damn. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a heavier film, not really horror necessarily, more in like the real life horror uh, aspect rather than, you know, any like supernatural. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. uh, one of Stephen King's supernatural films, but anyways, so it chapter two, uh, 2019 based on the gigantic novel by Stephen King. I pulled out mine today. I was kind of, Oh my gosh. Through. Yeah, I know my, the edition I have is like, 1,058 pages or something of text, 57. Ugh, I don't know, it's huge. Um, we've got on on deck, we've got Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, Isaiah Mustafa, Jay Ryan, Andy Bean, and of course, Billy Skarsgård, one of our Scandinavian Baldwins. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming back to uh, be Pennywise, and let's see who directing Andy Muschietti. Is that mm-hmm. how you say that? I don't know. It's how we're going to say it now. <laughs> did he direct the first one? I'm not even sure. Uh, oh, he did. Uh, yeah, he directed. Both. I was going to say, don't ask me because I like still think that Carrie Fuganaga <laughs> directed both of them, even right. though famously that was he was pulled from the pro- or pulled out of the project. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what did you, what, what did you, uh, think? Joshua, what the fuck happened in this film? Um, <laughs> I have no idea what went on. Like, and I was like watching with minimal distraction. You know how like sometimes when we watch and I'm on my phone, mm-hmm. like I was not on my phone for most of this film and I still have no idea what happened. <laughs> Well, what do you mean? Obviously, you watch it, things happened in it. Yeah, things happened in it, and I, I, but, like, I also just, like, I, I just got, like, really lost, because I don't think it was, I don't think it was too clear to me about, like, the fact that they did forget. You know what I mean? Like, when they left Derry, they forgot, but, like, Mike remembered everything because he never left Derry. Yeah, he stayed, yeah. He stayed, but, like, for me, it was... For me, when he when Mike is calling each of them, basically saying, "Hey, shit's going down. I'm summoning you back to Derry." Like in when he did that, it was as if they remembered him, that they remembered everything. And so when they come back, and it's like they don't remember stuff. I was I found that very confusing. Well, I mean, I think the idea is that they remember their promise and that they remember that they would go back, but not the details. So as they're getting their things start to come back, you know, because it's like, what, 30 years after the events or something? Mm-hmm. Um, 27. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Uh, 27. So rounding up <laughs> roughly yeah. 30 years. Um, 
you know, so I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I, no, I remember a lot of stuff, but I didn't have to deal with the psychopathic space entity. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> and, and that stuff too. It's like, okay, so then what, so then what is it? I still was unclear about. And the whole native thing, which like now for me is a little like strange, you know what I mean? Like just like the whole idea of like, you know, mystical native, (laughs) mystical, the mystical indigenous. Yeah, no, of Um, course. Yeah. Yeah. That's obviously, um, you know, one of the problematic, uh, aspects of the film and, uh, you know, Stephen King novel in general. Um, but no, you know, I don't know. I think it's like the suppression of like trauma. You know, that they've kind of pushed it down, you know, and it's not necessarily maybe that they've totally forgotten it, uh, but more that they don't want to know that they know. Yeah, like they've they've repressed it, right? They've yeah. just it's a major oppression. So, yeah. because so, obviously it floods yeah. back for Stanley because he's like, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, I'm not he was just like, again. I am done. Yeah. Um, uh, so, bummer. <laughs> But then also, like, again, with, um, with who is the one that they, who's the one who likes Bev, the one who wrote ben. the poem? Yeah, Ben. Ben. So with Ben, right, he, um, like, he must remember because he kept that piece of the yearbook, you know, like, he knew there's a part of him that's still holding on to that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was a little strange. And then like the back and forth was like, um, the back and forth was, it took me a little bit that there were, there were parts where I had to like rewind, which is, this is one of those movies where I'm glad that a, I was at home and B I wasn't with you because like I was able to rewind and like, okay, is this what happened and all that stuff. Um, but if I want, if we want to get right into it, I, so I think what was also just like really jarring for me was like that first, the opening scene with the gay couple, mm-hmm. I was like completely like, that was just so, uh, so shocking to me. Yeah. Um, well, and obviously like, that's kind of going to be the big, you know, chunk of this episode is actually discussing, um, you know, we're kind of using this film to kind of do, or at least I wanted to kind of have a conversation about um, queerness in the work of Stephen King to some extent, there's not a lot of it. So it's not like it can be, you know, held up as the only thing we talk about. Um, I was going to say, I think watching them back to back, although it's a chore because they're like five hours combined, Mm -hmm. um, does sort of, does help, you know, because I felt like, okay, I just saw their childhood and now it's adulthood. And also Mm -hmm. I have, you know, references from the original, like the 1990 miniseries and the novel, you know, so obviously there's things Mm -hmm. that watching it, like I apply you know, mm-hmm. I, I would, yeah, I would definitely agree that just face value people coming into it and watching this, especially if they had seen it and then waited a couple years, or obviously the sequel came out a couple years later or whatever. And so they're watching it. So if you didn't watch the original or the first film right before, you know, to yeah. kind of gear up for it, I could see. So when was the last time you watched it? Watched it um, yeah. with you when we saw it. Okay, so yeah, when we saw it, so you didn't watch it again on your own. No, um, I, I I didn't get. I didn't watch it again on my own. No, which I do. Um, I feel is helpful. Um, okay, but anyway, so I so, might just have to do that because because it was also just a matter of like 
I was also like, oh, I remember the kids. And you can totally tell that, like, they filmed those sections with the kids, like, right away, right after they did, at the same time that they did the movie, um, the first movie. So that way they kept the kids as old as they were. Because I don't think uh, the kid who plays uh, Richie uh, from Fid Wolfhard from uh, uh, Stranger Things, he's, like, he's definitely not that age anymore. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and that's, you know, and I think that they knew they were going to do both. So they, of course, could plan what they were going to use in the first film and then what mm-hmm. they could save or what they could reuse because obviously they reuse stuff. So anyway, so the original novel is set in the 50s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen King really has a thing for the 50s. Uh, plus, obviously, when he was writing this book, uh, it came out, it was published in 86. Okay, so, yeah. Um, but he says he started getting the idea for it as early as 78, uh, and then kind of started working on it, it more in earnest in the early um, 80s. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, with the, the films, they're updated it, so it's the kids are in the 80s, and then it's, like, present day in the uh, in the second, when they're adults, it's more like mm-hmm. present day 2016 or whatever. Uh, so, the novel, so... Um, the, the the part one, the first two chapters, uh, the first chapter is after the flood, 1957. This is what opens the first film, It, with mm-hmm. Georgie getting his arm ripped off and meeting, you know, Pennywise for the first time. The second chapter of the book is called After the Festival. Oh, so, sorry, the first chapter is After the Flood, 1957. Second is After the Festival, 1984. So the second chapter of the book is the homophobic attack on adrian uh mellon is that his name mm-hmm. yeah um yeah don haggerty uh, is the boyfriend and then adrian mellon is the man who's murdered uh who's attacked and then um eaten by pennywise so that's the second chapter of the book so it's like it's i expected it you know, mm-hmm. so when, when we saw this, uh, you know, for the first time when it was released on whatever it was released on, I think we rented it and watched it together here uh, at the uh, Je- uh, Jeffrey and I. I knew that was coming. You mm-hmm. know, that it was part of the, the original book. Now, there's a couple reasons it's there, I think. One is it was inspired by a real life event, um, mm-hmm. Charlie Howard, who was murdered in Bangor, Maine. In 80, let me see what year, uh, well, yeah, 84. So a few mm. years before this was published. So Stephen King, you know, used something, you know, in his, uh, hometown. Hmm. Okay. Uh, or from home state, actually is Bangor, Maine, his hometown. I'm not sure, but either way, it was a very real thing. So he put it in the book, this real act of, of, of human evilness, and that's the second reason it's in the book, not only because it was inspired by a real event, but also because it like underscores this idea that it is feeding off of like fear and hatred and that, you know, really what this book is about is not monsters. It's about, or, you know, not space monsters, but human monsters and that, mm, mm-hmm. that this creature uh, exists. And, and, and because of dairies ha- already having this like, you know, these violent things happen there, it's able to flourish. And then dairy obviously becomes this um, center for evil, I guess, in a way, you know, because the clown, is, you know, the clown is there, this creature is there encouraging 
hatred and violence and fear because it's eating people and, you know, doing other things. So, yeah. <laughs> That's sort of the... I guess why it's there. Obviously there's lots of conversation back and forth and I'm, I'm going to link a few different articles. So there's um, that, that I read about this. Um, Cause when it came out, there was a lot in the gay press about it from both sides, people that uh, it chapter two, why it's depictions of homophobic violence is actually a positive, you know? So it's like kind of reminding people of like, you know, the real life horror that's going on in the world, um, that this is a reality still for queer people. And then on the other side, people who feel like it's exploitative or it was homophobic, uh, you know, so I, I'm going to link articles to both for people to read. Um, okay. I'm, I'd be, I'd be interested to read both of those. Cause it was just like, well, it's not even both. I mean, there are million. I mean, there's so many mm. articles written on this subject. I, I would just, it was just like the cruelty of it. Like, and, and, and again, like, I'm not naive. I know that that exists. I, I am, I have people who I'm like, you know, very close to who have experienced similar, if similar acts of violence because of, you know, homophobic acts of violence. So like, yeah. I, I, I know it exists, but it was just like, I think what got me was the fact I was just not expecting it. Yeah. And, and the fact that like, they were just, it was such with, with such impunity that they were like, no, we're going to murder him. Like we're going to like straight up, like kicking the inhaler and then like dumping him in the river. I was like, you're like, that's like, you're going to go to fucking jail. Like you were going to be arrested for a hate crime at that point. Yeah. Um, but I think the point of the matter is, and that and that's all again, real, like the, the Charlie Howard, he was asthmatic. He was thrown over a bridge. He drowned. The people involved were young. They got two years. They're off living their lives now. Mm. So in the very real sense, like, you know, they were not punished. And obviously you have like that, you know, um, the gay panic defense, although it's going away, there's still plenty of, you know, conversations about it. So, yeah, so it's based on very real horror and, you know, that being included, I, I don't know, I think is important. So, um, what I was going to say though, is I don't necessarily agree with some of the criticism and it's sort of like what's happening now within the context of like the black lives matter movement where it's like, mm-hmm. um, let's erase all instances of white people being awful. Uh, even though like, that's not what's being asked. Like black people are not saying like, get rid of Aunt Jemima. Like certainly we can deal with that and have mm-hmm. conversations about her and uncle Ben and you know, some of these, um, quote unquote racist relics. What's really being asked is like, stop killing us in the street and quit minimizing yeah. our pain and quit acting like it doesn't exist mm-hmm. by erasing, you know, by saying we're not going to show gone with the wind. Like, well, no, that, you know, I mean, I don't plan to watch gone with the wind, but there's certainly something that like, I've seen it, you know, that's enough. Um, so I, I think not, having access to this history allows us to pretend it doesn't exist. And I think that there's real problematics with um, uh, the erasure sort of, okay. So it's like erasure, but also like coddling or making comfortable like cishet people like in, in the context of like, they shouldn't have filmed this. You know, there's people like saying like, this is homophobic and it shouldn't have been in the film, but it's like, okay. So making people feel comfortable from the re- like, shielding them from the very real problems 
that their privilege causes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like comfortableness can be, can lead to complacency, you know? So if we just pretend, if we allow Texas to change, you know, the name of like the slave trade to whatever that was, the transatlantic trade or whatever the hell it was, uh, you know, it's like, there's a problem like we have to be uncomfortable. We have to talk about the realities. And so, you know, this isn't, this act is not something that doesn't not, or uh, what am I trying to say? It happens, you know, it's Mm -hmm. very real. And in this particular, like this book is set in Maine, the film is set there in Derry, Maine. This is a very real thing that happened there that Stephen King used as, as a, um, as inspiration. And so I think to, to, to not have it there is a problem. Now I do agree with some of the, some of the criticism, like how does it fit in the story? You know, like they show this horrible crime and it's awful, but we don't really reference it again. It's just this, you know, prologue to the events that are coming that, you know, Pennywise is back and is used the fear of these, you know, men. Interesting enough, one of them, um, the main guy that they call Meg Ryan, he plays Darren on Animal Kingdom, uh, the queer character, which I think oh. is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but it's like their fear, you know, is the you know this thing that rejuvenates Pennywise, and he's able to eat Adrian and then you know start his new reign of terror. So I do think that yeah, there's issues with the storytelling, but calling that itself homophobic, I think, is problematic. You know, and being and and saying that it shouldn't be there or that it makes people uncomfortable. I don't know. I mean, horror should do that. It should make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And this is real life, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of feel like I didn't see the same conversation around like the violence depicted against Beverly, you know, with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't see the same. Or her father. Like, yeah. And her father. Like, there's a lot of very uncomfortable things, both in these films and in, and in the book that I think is, you know, like, again, the real life horror that it's about, you know, that it is, is alluding to that there is this evil that the human race co-consciously creates, you know, mm-hmm. and that we label it, you know, horror and terror and we engage in it um, without fixing the real world horror, you know? So I, yeah. I, I don't know. And maybe that's like, <laughs> that's what, I mean, that's what we do here. So <laughs> I was gonna, maybe that's like, you know, like a fright school, like fright right. school postdoc <laughs> type level yeah. thinking. I, I think like with me is just like seeing the violence and like being and feeling that like radical empathy for the characters and just yeah. how, cause they did, I mean like that, that was like a really well acted scene is, as yeah. well. It's terrible to watch. I mean, it's not, and it, it, I was just like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is, this is not what I signed up for. Um, I mean like, not like, I mean, that just kind of goes to show how far gone I am. Right. It's like, I was here, I'm here for a clown ripping off, people's arms i was not right. here for um <laughs> for like realistic depictions of homophobic violence right um but and you're not like, alone in that and other people have the same conversation i think what just was the most what also was just unsettling about everything was how it fit like how it fits specifically in the narrative of like okay so it's it's bad enough that he was like basically going to die being an asthmatic and drowning from a hate crime, but like let's just add the like extra like 
the extra cherry seasoning on top of it of, you know, being killed by this supernatural space clown force, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And so, and so that's where I was just like, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, and then it doesn't have like, you know, the book, it's, it's a chapter, you know, and they go into like the aftermath of it, you know, and the, uh, you know, the, the consequences of it that are not there in, in the film, you know, cause it's like, um, yeah, they go, this whole, I mean, there's, I don't even know how many pages of it, but anyways, the point is there's a lot, but like the first lines of the chapter, which I actually like the way it's constructed. Cause it's like a flashback. It's like the reason Adrian was wearing the hat, his sobbing boyfriend would later tell the police was because he had won it at the pitch to you win stall on the Bassey par fairgrounds just six days before his death. He was proud of it. He was wearing it, this is a quote now, he was wearing it because he loved this shitty little town. The boyfriend, Don Haggerty, screamed at the cops. It's like, you know, and so it's the investigation, it's the whole thing of saying, like, you know, he was there and he he saw the clown and the cops are like, don't tell people about the clown, maybe. You know, so there's a lot more to it in that they, you know, that these um, men involved, you know, do go through some sort of criminal justice system of that, you know, in the 80s that Maine had you know but you don't get that in the film and then they try to kind of deal with it they show it and then it's like the whole um richie uh tozer so bill uh bill Hader's character being like Mm -hmm. queer and so it's like they're trying to use it that way but that's also not very successful (laughs) Uh, yeah not successful at all so can we can we go into richie now um yeah yeah yeah. like i said most of the conversation uh, that i wrote about was on queerness so we could talk about that (laughs) so i was definitely spoiled about bill Hader going into this. So it was difficult. I mean, you know, for as, as plugged into like horror news as we both are given for our show, like it was, I was pretty certain. I I was like, okay, it was only a matter of time before I got spoiled on big details of the, of the, of the film. So I was kind of, and the thing that like what spoiled me was the idea that like, Oh, is what Bill Hader is wearing? Is that an homage to Jesse in nightmare two? Yeah, which is really, it's hard to, like, dismiss, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if there's anything out there. I've seen the pictures, but I don't know if there's any quote from anybody that, oh, yeah, we did that on purpose. But Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, that little, you know, cross his shirt, I mean, it's so, especially side by side, it just, it looks so obvious, an illusion, you know? And by Mm -hmm. the time this was being filmed and, you know, and, and put out, like, the you know the queerness of freddy's revenge has been long discussed you know so yeah. i mean it does seem very obvious <laughs> but what i thought was more interesting so i was already kind of expecting that but what was more interesting to me was during his flashback at the arcade and talking about the token right yeah. the kid that he's playing with looks like jesse from nightmare 2 Oh yeah, a little, yeah, with that kind of blonde and yeah, 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 exactly with the blonde hair, with the way it's styled, like he kind of looks like him as well. Um, and again, like you know, was I was I com- was I thrilled about like a like a you know almost? It, I mean, I was truly, truly, I was expecting him to die. I was expecting Richie to be one of the first, if not, or the second person to die uh, from the losers. Just because I was like, oh, this neatly fits into a bury your gaze, you know, a bury your gaze trope. Right. Um, right. 
which they do with Eddie. If I mean, if you want to take into consideration that Eddie might have also been like, maybe there is an unrequited thing there. Yeah, because doesn't end up happy. So if they if they want to contextualize this terrible violence at the beginning of the film with this, you know, this couple being, you know, irrevocably, you know, changed. You know, one of them's dead, the other's heartbroken. You know, with like a happy story of queer people, that's not happening here. (laughs) Yeah, and then to see like, and so like not really even me picking up like the fact they're like attraction or desire for each other until the very end where he's on the bridge and he re, you know, carves the letters um, into the post with Eddie's name there. It was just so interesting to kind of see I'm like, huh, I guess that that's, I, I didn't think that that's where they were going with it. Yeah, well, and it's hard. So there's uh, one of the articles that I'm that I'm going to share underneath is called "It Chapter Two Reckons with Stephen King's Troubling Legacy of LGBTQ Plus Representation" uh, by Lewis Peitzman. Uh, this is from them. Us. Uh, anyways, it'll be linked mm. below. But it kind of brings up so. Um, uh, so within the book, so. Um, this ambiguously gay trope. So one of the interesting details to it is not something scary at all, but the chemistry Eddie holds with Richie Tozer, fellow member of the losers club between the two of them is something different and sweet that pops up all throughout the book in the novel. Mm -hmm. Richie repeatedly calls Eddie cute. And while Eddie brushes him off, there's a suggestion. The attraction could be mutual. At one point he asks Richie for a lick of his rocket popsicle, despite his debilitating fear of germs. When the adult Eddie dies, Richie has the hardest time leaving his body behind with Richie kissing his cheek before they go. When these moments are presented together, the queer subtext seems obvious, but these are fleeting scenes in a novel that tops 1,100 pages, and King never confirms anything. Uh, And so the film pushes it a little bit more, you know, kind of with, like, it it adds that secret stuff, you know, that, like, Pennywise threatens with him with revealing his secret, you know, they make it a little bit more explicit with the, you know, R plus E, you know, on the bridge, um, you know, but in the book, I, th- I think in the book, the, um, the Paul Bunyan statue is also there, which I think of Paul Bunyan as sort of this like manifestation of like hyper-masculinity, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so whether or not that's in, I can't remember if that, if that is part of the novel. Um, but it, within the context of the film, him being attacked by that, I thought what right, especially right after the arcade scene, mm-hmm. you know, it's this very literal, like, you know, both in, in the real, in this, in, in reality that he's in with, um, um, oh gosh, the, the, uh, bully's name just left me. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, what's his name? Oh my See, God. I don't even remember. I was just reading it. This is so fucking stupid. Uh, Bowser. No, that's not right. Bowers, Henry Bowers, Jesus Christ. So Henry Bowers attacks him for seemingly hitting on his cousin. Was that what it was? Or some friend from out of town? Like, why are you bothering Mm -hmm. this person that's close to me? And then he goes out and he's attacked by this Paul Bunyan statue, which again is this like very hyper-masculine kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I, I, I think that you could reading the, the novel, like pull some of this, you know, queer subtext mm-hmm. out of it. I didn't really like, but I mean, I haven't read, I mean, I have not read it in forever. 
<laughs> well, in the film, you have, so, like, right after that scene where, you know, he's remembering and he's in the park in front of the Paul Bunyan statue, he does get, um, he does see the apparition of Adrian as, like, you know, the zombie. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Handsome. Yeah. Exactly. Calls him handsome. Um, it's kind of hinted even like to go back a little bit to the beginning of the film, it kind of hinted when Ben comes, when Ben comes to the restaurant and he's like, you're hot. Like he, you know, it, everyone's playful about it, but like, there's an element of truth to him, like saying that. Cause it's like, oh, I am attracted to you in some way. Oh man. That's a whole other conversation we can have about Ben and like, you know, oh my god, um, the fat phobia of it all, erasure. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, again, obviously, you know, as as queer people, we're you know discussing the queerness of this, and again, the um, I do recommend reading this article because you know it it is sort of interesting because it points out um, you know some other queer stuff. So because Stephen mm-hmm. King, it's like almost always if he mentions or depicts queer sex, it's almost always linked to psychopathy. So in the book, which I did, I reread this uh, section today. Um, the other, so like the other bullies, Patrick Hockstetter, uh, mm-hmm. who in the first film, he has the lighter and the, like the spray can he keeps you know shooting like fireballs off in the you know he's mm-hmm. got the dark hair so uh he's in this the uh, zombie that comes for henry who's cr- mm-hmm. he crawls out from under the bed with the knife so that character in the book he's like truly psychopathic like he has this mm-hmm. thing where he's um he's the only person who's real uh he kills his infant brother by smothering him when he's only five like he's five and the baby's a baby a new baby uh and he gets away with it it's like sid or whatever in uh, sudden infant death syndrome is what mm-hmm. they kind of assume it is and in in the book beverly goes to like the junkyard or something like that and sees the group sees the the bully group together and they you know have and it, she's hiding out watching them they leave they leave patrick and henry alone and patrick offers and does give uh henry a um a hand job and then offers hmm. to to give him a blow job as well but that's too much and and bowers you know pushes him away and you know calls him a faggot and the whole thing and so right after that patrick goes he has a, a, a an old refrigerator hidden in the junkyard that he uses to kill animals he kidnaps people's dogs and puts them in it lets them suffocate to death he has all kind he's he, i mean he's again he's a serial killer to be psychopathic person and he's attacked by all these leeches and they drain him and they kill him right after that scene so there's like that linking of 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 violence and psychopathy with queer sex because i mean yeah it's uh, deviancy it's thing yeah yeah and so it's like the next image is is his death um there's also there's other you know this thing goes you know to all kinds of other things um raymond andrew joubert the necrophiliac grave robber from gerald's game is said to prefer male corpses um you know so there's these within stephen king's um of you know there are there are these these uh lgbt ish queer ish characters who are generally evil or violent in some sort of way there are there are a couple of instances where they're not uh for instance uh, dana in the stand is bisexual uh and she's you know sort of she's heroic uh in some ex- to some extent uh, but also a woman and yes, not yeah and not a man yeah 
Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a whole sort of thing there. I mean, when you're talking about a white straight man, you know, grew up in the fifties and sort of idealizes that time in a lot of ways, uh, you know, he's not, he's certainly not perfect on writing queer characters. And so I think some of those, uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with Stephen King being homophobic. I've been reading his work since I was a kid before, you know, uh, I knew anything else really like Stephen King was, was, you know, mm-hmm. I've got tons of his books. I've been reading him since I was eight, uh, you know, and I never felt like there was a homophobia aspect there. I just think there's a, a blind spot. Mm. Uh, you know, in the same way, like I love Silence of the Lambs, but obviously there's a big blind spot there with queerness and and what being trans really is that Thomas Harris, you know, failed, failed, you know, at, um, you know, to some extent, because that, you know, if, if people are queer or people are trans or people are of color and find offense in something, then we should listen, you know, and we should take that into consideration. Uh, so I, I definitely, you know, queer people who are upset by the opening of this film or upset with, you know, things within Stephen King, I don't want to take that away from them. They they certainly can have that critique. And I, I would agree to some extent only in the only in the sense I think it's a blind spot, not like Stephen King's walking around hating gay people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or yeah, like hating you. women, you know. Um, you know, he famously felt the adaptation of The Shining was very misogynistic and that he didn't write Wendy torrents that way you know and that he 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 wrote a much more fierce woman um you know so it's like i i think that there's i don't know i think there's something to be said that you know it's more that it's just that kind of accidental way that people write bad mm-hmm. you know or problematic characters and that's not i don't know if it hints at an under like undercurrent of homophobia mm-hmm but again, I mean, we can argue, uh, I can find people that would disagree. I mean, there's a whole, there's another article I want to share. Uh, Stephen King, homophobia, repressed and sublimated homosexuality, where it's this whole conversation about how often he uses like faggot in his works and mm-hmm. uh, male aggression and masochism, you know, rooted with like homophobia that I think is, is really interesting. Um you know, and it also, I mean, the articles, it's interesting to read, I think, as, as a as a piece of, like, academia, because it also brings up mm-hmm. Freud a lot, which I have, mm. you know, a lot of issues with Freud. <laughs> but more so it brings it up because it's, like, the idea that the, the, the this manifestation of violence towards uh, queer people, like straight men who go and beat up or who intimidate queer people or because they haven't dealt with the queerness of themselves, that's mm-hmm. very cliche to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, but that it's kind of contextualizing that within the work of Stephen King. So I'll post it. People should read it. Think what they think what they want to think. I think that we could certainly do other Stephen King works to to talk about uh, more of these issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much to say. This is the problem. I'm sorry, Joe. I'm just talking at you. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah, I, it's. <sighs> I think like, again, this is one of those situations where it's like, if I did read, maybe I would have like a different opinion because again, a lot of it is, there are things that were in the, you know, as is with any adaptation, there's just things in the book that you can't get to or figure out how to work in on screen. No, of course. Um, There's an orgy amongst these 12 and 13 year olds. That's highly problematic. (laughs) Yes. Obviously not in the, in the films. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, so I don't know. I I think that it's I don't know. 
I, I, ju- I think it's, there's a lot of complexities there to talk about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I will say that if, you know, I mean, I, I do think it is more explicit in this that Richie is queer and there's definitely things about him that kind of remind me of my own being, you know, I don't know if you were like this, but you know how they're like, oh, if a boy likes a girl, like he's mean to her, you know, like mm-hmm. when they're in infancy mm-hmm. or, you know, when we're younger. And that's very, yeah. that's very true for me. Boys I had crushes on, I was very mean to. And that shows in Richie, the way he kind of picks on Eddie and, yeah. you know, says stuff. I was like, oh man, I was kind of that way. My thing was making them feel stupid. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I thought a guy was hot or whatever. Like I would definitely kind of, I was, I picked on them that way, um, which is terrible. But I mean, it's like, you know, you look back and it's like, I can see, yeah. you know, those, those sorts of. <laughs> I kind of thought that maybe they were doing, and I didn't really pick up the Eddie stuff until the end because I kind of thought that they were making um, Richie's love interest to be Stanley. Oh, yeah. Because of like how he was, you know, how they, he wasn't there in the moment he has in the synagogue and all of that stuff. I thought like maybe it was Stanley that were, they were trying to prop up as his love interest. Yeah. Huh. No, I mean, that reads, you know, he could certainly be interested in both. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he could definitely be. You know, who knows? Um, so besides like the queerness of it, uh, of it, chapter two, um, other stray observations. I like how they brought, so the woman who plays Eddie's wife. In, Isn't it in the same two, woman who plays the, same the mother? Who plays his mom, which I thought yes. was brilliant. I'm like, that's really funny. Uh <laughs> I love that they like, cause when he's on the phone with her and he's like, okay, you know, talk, love you, mommy. I was like, oh, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's like, that's like literally hitting the nail, like being really heavy handed with the metaphor. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> um, I thought I think that it, like, yeah, I was going to say like the, the way that they played like Eddie's character specifically was like particularly cartoonish. Like for me, it made more sense and it was more realistic as him as a kid, just because of he's this like really anxious kid. But then to see that like translated in, in an adult, it was a little, that was a little muddled for me. Yeah, um, he's a little infantilized, you know, infanticide. You know, yeah. Is it infantilized? Infantilized. infantilized. That's the word yeah. I'm looking for. Uh, you know, obviously with his mother and then his wife, you know, he's kind of repeating this. So he kind of stays the same, but you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, it doesn't, he doesn't feel like a grown up. Um, which, I mean, I don't know. I know adults like that, but, um, I'm not entirely sure that I'm not an adult like that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) There are things, you know, there, there are things about me that maybe, yeah, but not, I don't know. Not to that extent. I would agree. He is sort of cartoonish. Um, I, you know, I, I like the update because like, I was thinking about this, um, because they brought into the eighties, like they have posters of like Beetlejuice, the lost boys, gremlins. I'm like, I, I would have liked these kids. I would have wanted to be in their group. You know, I would have wanted to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that kind of made me think it, it, it you know, sitting and rewatching this just kind of gave me lots of, um, nostalgic vibes for my own childhood, thinking about the ways that, you know, if we look at this as a, as sort of a, um, a parable or not a parable, but like a, uh, like a conversation in like, you know, childhood, you know, growing up, losing, you know, your innocence. And, you know, when I think about it, it's early like, losing your innocence early and how that yeah. affects your, how that, like, how like losing that loss of innocence, um, before quote unquote, you're ready, 
um, also impacts like your development, right? So yeah, like Bill can't finish a novel or his ending suck. Cause it's like, yeah. he doesn't, he didn't have a satisfying ending with the first thing that he did. Right. So it's like, okay, he doesn't know how to do that. And kind of everybody, even like with Bev I like too. your comment about the meta Stephen King, which I do think, I do think there is obviously this, they're making a joke. You know? Yeah. And, and to see like King in it as well, yeah. was really surprising for me. Um, but like, yeah, yeah I read so, that, um, his son, Joe was supposed to be in it too. They were going to have a second, a flashback to the same pawn shop and Joe King was going to play or Joe Hill, sorry, Joe Hill mm-hmm. was going to play the younger uh, character that Stephen King was playing, which I thought would have been really cool. But anyway, that would have been, a, that would have been really cool. Um, but like, it's that idea, right? It's like that at, at a certain point, everybody is still, um, even though they've forgotten, a lot about their past and a lot about what dairy's effect on them. If for in many ways they haven't grown. So right. like, I think that was most apparent for me in Beverly where yeah. she, you know, being with that, um, being with her abusive husband and like, again, like falling into that kind of cycle. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it seems trite, but like it does happen and continues to happen with people who, you know, who, grow up in those types of abusive situations that also seem to happen to find themselves in those situations again as adults. And so see, yeah. but at least in this, in this instance, she like fought back and fought back hard. Yeah. Um, Cause she made a promise and she intended to keep mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, and I see that a lot. We hear that a lot from people they call and, you know, I want to, I want to come in, I want to get a therapist. I want to deal with stuff from my childhood. So that is, I think is a, uh, mm-hmm. is a common you know, conversation. And again, it made me think about my own childhood and thinking about like the horrors of poverty, of abuse, of, you know, dealing with parents who were addicted to, you know, who had substance, you know, abuse problems and, you know, all those things that were like, are it, you know, that, that we're trauma bonded, you know, in, in some ways, uh, you know, it's like uh, details are fuzzy, but like, if I went back and like walked some of the streets or went to the park that we used to hang out with that, you know, when like things were really bad and we would go there and hang out and everybody just could escape their homes and their home lives, you know, what might come back, what memories might Mm -hmm. return. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I thought there was a lot of like, you know, this, this gives me a lot of that kind of vibe. So I enjoy watching it and you don't think, and even like some of the areas of town that they're in remind me a lot of like Lebanon, Ohio, where I grew, you know, mostly consider where I grew up, uh, you know, where sort of my childhood friends that were like this, you know, Mm -hmm. were bonded, uh, you know, where that, that time was. (laughs) was <laughs> yeah this is very much joshua's trip down memory lane <laughs> just in that just in that way yeah um you know so i i, I don't know anyways there was another comment uh, another article that i was reading that called this like um this idea of like the mob of the marginalized that we're seeing now with like in regards to like social media where people who felt like they didn't have voices now do feel like they have voices and are kind of mm-hmm. rising up and you know, so in the end, Pennywise is defeated, not because they perform some ritual, but because they collectively refuse to be afraid of him and they shout him down, they mm-hmm. tear him down, they rip his heart out, they do the whole thing. You know, that there's this idea that it's sort of representational of like social media and the way these like these voices that used to have so much weight and 
no uh no count no real true counter argument not as powerful mm-hmm. now are kind of being uh destroyed by the era of social media where people you know can be canceled very quickly now i don't want to necessarily debate the good and bad of that uh but i thought it was an interesting reading on the film especially mm-hmm. in the context of now um you know with all the all the isms that are in this you know there's racism there's homophobia there's sexism there's a lot of social ills that are explored in both of these films and within the book and the overall works of Stephen King uh you know that still plague us to this day and i i don't know i thought that was something i hadn't thought about before so in reading mm-hmm. that you know just contextualizing that final scene as this mob of the marginalized <laughs> hmm. interesting yeah, please make sure to include that because I would want I want to read that as well too. Yeah, no, definitely that they will be they will be in the in the comments. Um, all right. So overall, did you enjoy the film? No. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. I, again, because it was just like it's muddled. <laughs> it's muddled for me. I do. I preferred the first film more just because it was I like yeah. I didn't like I didn't like flashbacks. Because also, like, when they're flashing back to instances where they're, like, remembering interactions with the clown. Right. Like, to me, it's just like, did that happen before or after they made their oath? Right? right. Like, that was another place where I was kind of forgetting. Because if it was after, then, like, you know, why is this an issue type thing? So. Yeah. And there I'm, is that again is clarified in the book and even explored a little in the nineties series, like where it's like, yeah, well, I remember there was one last time I saw Pennywise, you know, after mm-hmm. that, so, you know what I mean? So yeah, there is, there is some exploration of that, but I mean, the movies together collectively are already over five hours long. So exactly. And, you know, so it's a lot, it's a lot to explore. And with 1100 pages of the book, I mean, it's just like, there's a lot. So unfortunately yeah i think there could have been some editing <laughs> you know in the yeah. at least to clarify some of the story mm-hmm. so but other than that uh so overall the works of Stephen king i did want to talk a little bit so our our friends over at horror movie night uh, which if you're not listening to them, you definitely should be following their uh, Facebook page. They're awesome uh, guys. I wish I'd been friends with them. I mean, I don't know collectively what kind of guys they were when they were younger, <laughs> when we mm-hmm. would have all been collectively around the same age. Uh, so who, you know, who knows if I would have been in their group, but they would, I think, but I, I think if they were like now, you know, if we were mm-hmm. all now, then <laughs> that would yeah. be a cool losers club to be part of. Um, um, proud, proud losers. Um, I'm kidding, guys. I don't think you guys are losers, but you, uh, they know what I mean, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so they have been doing a poll, uh, finding like the best Stephen King adaptation, mm. uh, which has been interesting. I think It Chapter 2 is really low right now. I think today it was like the one that was going to get voted out. I think, I think they picked 25 films or 30 films, something like that. And so they're editing them. So each each week you vote for the worst of the best kind of idea, you know? Uh, got it. Um, or the worst of the worst. Some of them are pretty bad. There are some really bad Stephen King adaptations, which has been my problem with like the uh, the poll. <laughs> it's mm. like I have a hard time engaging with a lot of those kind of polls because I see, you know, like I tagged you in the comment about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where I'm like, but it's about poverty and bullying, and you know, it's just like sad. It's this story. beautiful story about this, that, the other. <laughs> 
you know, so it's like because because of this show and because of the way I engage with horror, it's so different. So in reading the in reading the poll, it's like I want to know everybody's rubric. I want to know why that person thinks blah blah is the worst. You know, because I like go both like where it's like okay this book was so good or whatever and they adapted it. It was really bad. That should be voted off first, but that's probably not everybody else's rubric, you know, cause it's like the shining is a great film. It's a terrible adaptation mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when compared to the work it's, you know, it again, I'm a huge fan, love the film, the shining, but it bears like, it has nothing to do with the novel. Um, but again, that's not everybody's, like rubric, you know, so experience. Like, you know, where it's like, Oh, this is terrible. Where uh, I think the mist got voted off really quickly. And I'm like, Oh, what the fuck is wrong with people? The mist is so <laughs> um, it's a great adaptation, even though the ending changes. And that's, I guess the point is people are upset by the ending. Cause it's very bleak. And it's like, what about night of the living dead? You know, what about awesome bleak horror, you know, hereditary and all these like awesome horror films that end on a really fucking bleak note. Like there's something to be said for that. It's, you know, wonderful. Um, but anyways, so if you are listening to them or if you're not, you should go over and, and engage with that poll. Cause it is very interesting as a Stephen King fan and, and just, and as a horror fan to kind of see how other people view, you know, work, um, mm-hmm. how they engage with it or how they think this is the worst or this is the best, uh, what they consider horror, you know, um, cause some like, um, the green mile wasn't included on there, which I get why, but then I also think, God, but it's so like for black people, like such a horror film, but it also has problems with the magic yeah. So, the, like, lots of issues. <laughs> this is why I can't engage because I just sit there and I think all these thoughts. <laughs> I am like, too. I know too much. Yeah, and I have a hard time. Like, I don't want to argue with strangers on the internet about movies. You know, it's like every, there's room for everybody. Everybody can think mm-hmm. and think that this is the best or that's the best or that's the worst. You know, but it, it's it's fun. It is fun to see kind of what Matt writes up about each film once it gets eliminated. Um, you know, and, and some of the conversation that happens in the, you know, has been fun to engage with, even if I haven't actively voted in the, uh, thing. So that's my, my horror movie night minute. (laughs) Since we were doing this, uh, we could, I figured we could plug some of the, um, you know, the other works of Stephen King. Oh man. I'm also going to link that other article, the 10 best LGBT characters curious what people's thoughts are that oh yeah do that uh so that that be curious to see how people feel about that um any other any other last minute notes um i can i just want to go back and watch the original now <laughs> <laughs> oh i did forget to mention it because i wrote it down while i was thinking about it um like connections, like other, like other works, like this reminds me a little bit of the thing, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the shape-shifting monster. And then at the end of this, where his, like the head become, it grows like the spider legs. Oh my God. Around. That was, that was disturbing. Yeah. And given that they grew up in, within this film in the eighties, it felt very, uh, uh, it made sense that, you know, mm-hmm. this is set in like 85, 86, somewhere around there. Um, well, 89, I think 88, 89, cause Beetlejuice came out in 88. So yeah, would that would be around there somewhere, but that the thing would have been part of their world. So, you know, they would have that, that disgusting imagery. I, yeah. so I thought that was kind of cool. And then it kind of also made me think of like Jeepers Creepers with the, uh, mm-hmm. 20, you know, every 23rd spring or whatever. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how Stephen King's it has influenced a lot of things and how I can see influences of other work, especially stuff, you know, sci-fi from the fifties and sixties, you know, that would have influenced, um, him growing up. So anyways, 
There's so much to talk about, Joe. We There's just a lot. On. There's so much. I agree, though. I prefer the first film. You know, yeah. it just, I, I do think it's better. It's better constructed. But the cast mm-hmm. is great. I think they did a good job. That woman, the old woman is creepy. That whole Beverly thing. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, my gosh, we see, we barely touched on anything. What did we talk about for two hours almost? <laughs> <laughs> it's so much. Anyways, um, yeah, so that's, I guess we stop there. <laughs> we'll leave it for the future. We'll leave it because, you know, we'll, we have plenty more to talk about in the future, right? Yeah, we do. We've got a lot. All righty. Well, um, this has been great. Uh, thank you for listening to me ramble at Joe for this, this past episode. Um, the moral of the story, I think the moral of this episode is that Joe does need to read more. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, again, I mean, uh, the success of a film should depend on the film itself. You know, mm-hmm. so you watched it, you had the experience you had. I have, a, you know, those of us who've read the book or seen the original series or blah, 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 or have that Stephen King universe language, you know, are going to experience it differently or maybe fill in gaps, you know, but I, I do think that's, it, it's important that your experience of the film, if you felt like things were missing, that should not be made up by reading the novel, you know, mm, got you it. should experience the film as it is, you know, or at least in context with the first one. So mm-hmm. we can leave it at that. Uh, it chapter two, uh, I think it's streaming on HBO max right now. So if you haven't seen it, you could check it out there. If you have a subscription, Otherwise, I, I don't know, whatever it is you do to get films, dear listener. <laughs> we know it's not Blockbuster. Boo. Alrighty. Well, thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. Network.